Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the jazz session. I'm Jason Crane. The jazz session is presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. The jazz session is also available for free at thejazzsession.com and in iTunes. Today's guest is drummer Ben Porowski. On his own El Destructo Records, he's released Volume 2, The Mood Swing Orchestra. And from that record, this is Sweet Adelaide. My guest is Ben Porowski, uh, drummer, band leader, composer, and uh, he is also uh, behind the El Destructo Records label, which, in addition to possibly having the greatest label name in the world, has just released uh, a volume two of the Mood Swing Orchestra, and it's my pleasure to welcome Ben to the show. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Uh, I really like uh, the origin story of this band and kind of the reasons that, that you formed it. And as I understand it, uh, and you can correct me, it, it goes back to Williamsburg about seven or eight years ago. Is that right? When the band first kind of came into being in some form? In some form, yeah. <laughs> I guess you could say that. Yes, it's, it's true that the, I did some live shows back in '02 with uh, the core members of the the rhythm section that that ended up on this record yeah that's that's right uh, this band first of all is uh, I I had no idea what to expect when I when I put the record on the first time and it was nothing I could have expected and so um, that le- it I I really love it but it's not the kind of thing you can guess oh this is what it's probably going to sound like um, and so I wonder what what was the sound in your head that you were hearing that made you want to assemble this particular cast of musicians and make music like this? What were you trying to go for? What language were you trying to speak in, for example? I've been involved with so many different bands and 
styles and bands within the styles. Um, and I was trying to bring a lot of elements together, I would say. Um, I've been playing a, a lot of different jazz and a lot of different rock and um, and and then electronic music and and then like it became this live drum and bass thing I was in this band called Liminal in the mid 90s and and everybody kind of knows each other in in the circles that I play in um, and I was trying to bring bring it all together that's one element of it and um, the stuff in the O2 it's 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 sort of a little bit of a backlash against the really fast electronic mixed with acoustic playing that was going on, and I wanted to slow it way down and um, just play more uh, dub and ambient stuff, but with with live instruments. So that was that was another general direction I was going in. Yeah, I I'm glad you used the word ambient because I was about to, and I wasn't sure if it was pejorative or not. <laughs> if people considered it uh, a good word to use, but I think this this is ambient oh, music in the yeah, me too, in in kind of the best sense. But it seems like well, so it se- it's like uh, sorry, uh, go ahead. But 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 um, the other sort of backlash that I was, you know, like it as a uh, ambient as opposed to like jazz with lots of solos, you know. So I was really kind of trying to get away from that as well. Yeah, and that's kind of where I was going because that's a it's an interesting place to move away from when the instrument that you play is is drums. And uh so I'm I'm just interested in I don't know what what joys it it presents to you to play music like this which is a lot slower, a lot more about texture, at least it sounds like to me. Mm. Right, you mean like <laughs> it doesn't sound like it's as much fun as playing like uh a really fast burning jazz thing with some great soloist. Well, I don't know if it doesn't sound like it's as much fun, but it's just you know, like if you were if you were the keyboard player in the band or something, or the the DJ, right. it would be easier to imagine you wanting to play music like this. Um, but as a drummer, it just it seems like it's a lot more challenging oh, to yeah. find find a way to be in a band like this, even if it's right. your own band. Maybe I don't know. Um, for me, it's like. I was try- maybe I was trying to create more opportunity for me to just kind of like sit back and play some time and just crank out the beats and and not necessarily have it ha- have it need to go anywhere or be a big frenzy of notes and it's it's a lot of fun to play this stuff and and I'm also playing electronics at the same time and it cre- and it, it enables me to be sort of like the conductor and the arranger on the spot because i can stop you know i could, that's a pretty powerful thing when all of a sudden there's a big groove going on and the drummer just stops so <laughs> you know it's it, it's a lot of fun because it gives me that kind of freedom
will you talk about uh, some of the people who are on the record with you? Um, sure. Um, there's there's a, a big cast, starting uh, with Glenn Pacha, who's an amazing keyboardist and and uh, and vocalist as well, and, and songwriter as, as well. He he was in the first first incarnation and still is playing with with this band and. Um, and uh, he's he's incredible to work with. And then there's Marcus Miller, not the bass player, but Marcus Miller, the <laughs> DJ, electronics wizard guy. And um, he sort of fell out of the uh, of the scene for a while, but maybe he'll come back in some, at some point. Um, I hope. Those are the two guys that I started kind of doing this with. Marcus was amazing because he just brings all this sort of sonic, these different landscapes to, to kind of mess with. So that, that was the core. Then um, Oren Blodow came in for the record. Um, Oren plays, and is an incredible musician. He's one half of uh, Elysian Fields. I don't know if you know that band. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, with Jennifer Charles, who's a vocalist, who also ended up on the record. Well, you know, I played in that band for for a long time, uh, quite a while ago. Played on their records as well, and so that was the four of us recorded. And then I took that stuff, and um, then I went to town with cutting it up and adding all of my other friends onto it. Then I started. I wanted to bring in some horns, so I got Stephen Bernstein, great trumpet player and arranger. Who, um, who I work with a lot and I've been playing with since I was in high school, basically. And um, then Marcus Miller, who, Mark, sorry, Marcus Rojas on tuba, was an incredible tuba player who I actually went to high school with. And um, and Doug Weaselman, who uh, I've worked with in a bunch of different bands. Um, he, you might know him from the Backyardigans and Anthony and the Johnsons and various other records that he's put out. Um, so I got those three guys onto it, and then I cut that stuff up, <laughs> and, then, and then I got uh, Pamela Kirsten, who plays theremin, and she is a, a, amazing, like, virtuoso on, on the theremin, which is that those two words, virtuoso and theremin, don't you know, usually hear those together. But it, it's true, and it's really astounding. Um, so she did her magic on on it, um, and then I got the, the the vocals together, and one at a time. I get the Jennifer Charles, the incredible vocalist from Elysian Fields, and she's she's a great writer as well. She wrote the lyrics, and she's a great improviser also. She's really in the moment. So I got her onto the track Dolly. And uh, another track that she calls "Birds on Fire." And I got Joan Wasser, who uh, I was at the time I was playing with uh, with her band called Joan as Policewoman. Um, sorry to be so long winded, but it's a nine piece orchestra, you know. So I got to get everybody in there. That's fine. Um, <laughs> and then so that she did the track "Sweet Adelaide." Then who else? Then Elias Khan is the, uh, another great singer and songwriter from and he has a band called Nervous Cabaret uh, they're really great um, and I, I played with them a, a couple of gigs so I knew him 
Miho Hattori from Chibomato. Um, I had played a few shows with her current, or her, her latest sort of band um, a year or two ago. Um, and then so she traded the favor of uh, working up this track called Land of Snow on, on this record. And then finally, I got one night, I got Babel Gilberto in the in the moment in, in a club. I, I wanted to get, actually, I was just looking for somebody to speak in, in, in Portuguese. For some reason, I wanted to hear that on the spot. So I had, I just had a microphone with me and I was like, can you just say something? And, and then, you know, and she improvised this political rap. I mean, I sort of nudged her in that direction, but, um, that's what ended up happening. That's on King's then, Fall, right? Yeah, yeah, that's King's Fall. And then I sort of, I, it, it, I worked it, you know, I cut it a little bit. I didn't have to do much. It actually fit right onto the track. So that was incredible. So then then uh, a couple of backup vocals I added here and there, snuck those in, and uh, pretty much it. O que eu acredito no amor e muito mais. Você tem que, você tem, você tem que ter. Você tem que, você tem, você tem que ter. So anybody who knows uh, even a little bit about the independent music scene will understand the the breadth of artists <laughs> whose bands <laughs> you've just named checked in that in that yeah. list. I mean, it's it's incredible that that's an amazing width and breadth of of music of all different styles. And so and the the recording process or the the kind of assembly process you've just described um, sounds really fascinating too. And I, I guess the first question I have about it is, how did you? Did you have some sort of unified vision for how you wanted the whole thing to sound, and then you picked the people that you thought would would deliver that sound, or did you just see where it went as each person contributed their piece? Is it a mixture of those things? It's kind of a mixture, but I should say that it's it's really it's funny because like the process was as much of an improvisation as the playing was. So 
there's a lot of improv going on, and then me sitting with what happened and, you know, sort of rubbing my hands together and turning it, you know, being the scientist and saying, ah, what can I do with this? You know, so does that so, does that mean just just so folks kind of can get a handle on what that actually means? Does that mean that you and the the rhythm section, so to speak, kind of laid down some grooves initially, and then you cut those up and make another thing out of them, and then you put the next layer on? Is that kind of how yeah? It, it was layered. The, the whole record was layered like that. Yeah. Uh, so once you created kind of a like a bed of of a groove or whatever it was, however it worked, how did you decide? who or what was going to, to come next on top? Did you already have some of the other layers recorded, or did you just say, okay, now I've got this groove and I'm going to go find the things that I want to put on top of it? Or How does it even work? Different tracks worked differently, but for the most part, we went in the studio. Well, first of all, we, we the people I went in the studio with, Marcus and Glenn and then Oren, we, we played a bunch together for like two, two months. Through two or three months, I sort of workshopped this stuff uh, weekly we, at a club, right? So we sort of came up with a language to, for what I, I wanted to do, um, which we talked about in the beginning of, of the interview. So then we, when we went in the studio for two days, we sort of knew what we were going to... We kind of had an idea what we were going to do. Nothing was written down, but we just basically treated it like another gig. So we did two days of that, and then I took the stuff, and yeah, I, I then cut what I wanted and used what I wanted, and then like I, I wrote stuff to go on top of it. I wrote melodies for the horns, and then I got the horns to play what I, what I had written and improvised, and took everything and then boiled that down. And and then I then I decided okay who's 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 you know who's gonna go on which track in terms of the vocals I don't know how that happened it just you know I've been working with Jennifer and Joan so much that I sort of I, I just instinctively knew like okay this is gonna work for Joan this is gonna work for Jennifer you know so it worked like that.
um, I can't remember where I got this from, although I think it was from the uh, Le Poisson Rouge website, which had a write-up about the band, and you said, you were quoted as saying there at least, I wanted to improvise, but I didn't want it coming from a jazz language. Um, and I'd just like to know more about that and how you kind of differentiate improvisation from the, the jazz language. Well, there's, there's not a lot of chord changes going on, so there's not like this big harm, harmonic leap that anybody has to take every every two or three seconds. Um, so it's about creating a, a just an environment. Um, and, I, and I didn't want it to be a vehicle for, for this kind of virtuosic sort of jazz playing, um, which I could easily have, like said, called any number of you know anybody out of, the, out of you know out of the, like 25 people that I play with it in that world and got, and got really amazing solos on top of this but I wanted to steer away from that if I was able to call up Wayne Shorter and say hey Wayne can you do something on this I, I, I would have done that in a second but <laughs> I didn't have that access <laughs> Well, yeah, I guess, I mean, one of the things that I find interesting and, and seems to have been coming up in interviews a lot recently, particularly with people making kind of less traditional music, which um, is seems to be who I interview these days, uh, is is this kind of thing about what it, what does it take for music, you know, to be jazz? I mean, like, this got sent to me because I host a jazz show. But if I yeah. played this for 99 out of 100 people on the street and said, what kind of music is this? Right. None of them would say that it was jazz and yet well, there's this huge element of improv that's all yay all I think it that, that means it worked right but, exactly but at the same time it, the, the funny thing about it is that it's totally jazz right it's like the whole of the, the approach of it and, and, and it's in the spirit of, of what I think of as kind of a true jazz spirit so who knows well, I, that's the ongoing question right what the hell is jazz yeah, and I, and I think this album to me provides one kind of answer um, because I totally I totally agree that a it works that b it, it has improv and c maybe it's maybe it's jazz I don't know I'm not I mean I I have no idea what that word even means anymore <laughs> doesn't seem <laughs> but this record gets it done for me as far as I'm concerned on the improv level one thing I really dig about this record though um, and it sounds like I think the process has something to do with that and the compositions do as well, is that it's it's difficult to tell which bits of it are improvised and which bits of it are are composed, which I think sounds really cool. Uh, it, oh, I mean, cool. it sounds very intentional, but you can't you can't easily necessarily figure out what's going to happen next. Have you had a chance to uh, do live performances of this music? I mean, you oh, said yeah. you did in, in the workshop setting, but I mean kind of post-recording? Post yes. We've, that process has just started in the last, over the last... Uh, since this summer, basically, and it's been really interesting because I was really trying not to to play and, until I got this record out. I didn't I didn't even want to try, and then it was sort of daunting. Like, how am I possibly going to pull this cast together? Although before I even went into the studio, I did have gigs at, at, under Mood Swing Orchestra. We did gigs at the Knitting Factory and Tonic and early, you know, in 2000, and I had a, I had a pretty big group up there, but um, we haven't done it since, and so now that it's, it's, the music has changed, and it's a different time, I had to kind of figure out how I'm going to do that, and so I've been, we've been figuring that out, and it's been great, it's been really fun. 
And so when you perform the music live, does it have kind of more room to go different places, or how, how does it work? Yeah, I'm, I'm still keeping it in the same in the spirit of, of improvisation, and, but I'm trying to work it out so that I, I can call up any one of the, or, or a handful of the songs that, that are on the record and go to that groove and whatever the, the basic elements of that song are and have it happen. But um, it's still an improv. Like, the whole set just moves from beginning to end without stopping. And who's been joining you in those live performances? You've got a a cast of very busy people. All summer, I've had um, an old friend, um, colleague, DJ Olive, and he's been working laptop, um, playing... uh, Playing live, um, an- another old friend and musical partner, Danny Bloom, has also been doing that. Danny and Olive had a band called Liminal uh, in the a long time ago, and I played in that. So it's nice to have them in the mix. Um, and Glenn has, has been there, and Jennifer has been there, and Joan has been there. Uh, who else? The, the horn players have have come out. For a while, we played a bunch of quartet gigs just with Marcus Rojas on tuba, so he had a lot of freedom to just go and do his thing, and that was really fun. I've yet to get Pamela involved, but um working on that. Yeah, the world needs more live theremin, definitely. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> that is for sure. Uh, uh, Miho is talking about coming out, um, and our next show, we're going to feature this great young rapper named TK Wonder who I've been working with. And so uh knowing that this uh as this show airs uh, it will be November 2nd, uh what will be coming up in the immediate future? Yeah, right after that um there's the New Blue Jazz Festival. And so we're playing November 9th, that's a Monday night at 10 o'clock. Very cool. Well, the the album, the Mood Swing Orchestra, which is on uh, El Destructo Records, uh, is is really fantastic, and I encourage people to check it out. And uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you about it, Ben. Thanks so much for being on the show. Thanks a lot, Jason.
That's Ben Porowski and his Mood Swing Orchestra from their new album on his own El Destructo Records label. You've been listening to The Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. Every episode of The Jazz Session is also available for free at thejazzsession.com and in iTunes. The show has an email mailing list, which is a great way to win free music. You can sign up for it at thejazzsession.com. And if you're on Facebook, there's a group for The Jazz Session, and I give away music there, too. The theme music is by the Respect Sextet online at respectsextet.com. Thanks also to Dave Rabel, who designed The Jazz Session's logo. This show is distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivative Works 3.0 United States License. Thank you so much for listening. Please support live jazz whenever and wherever you can, and come back next time for another conversation about jazz on the Jazz Session.